Hello and welcome to the Pet Purpose Podcast. This is a podcast for passionate pet parents who want to take pet parenting to the next level. Our audience are always looking for ways to provide the best care for their companions. I'm Brett DeVette, and each episode I will share useful information and key takeouts that you can easily adopt to magnify the care, adventure, and excitement that you enjoy by having committed to becoming a dedicated pet parent just like me. Welcome back to this two-part episode on the topic of ticks. You will recall that in part one of this episode, we started with the scenario of you taking your pooch for a walk and you ending up visiting him in the vet hospital a few days later on a ventilator. More on that a little bit later. In part one, we also discussed what ticks are, what their life cycle is, and how they get onto their host. We covered off the three most important ticks in Australia with respect to pets, that being the brown dog tick, the bush tick, and the paralysis tick. Now, if you haven't yet listened to part one, then head over to that episode before coming on back here to part two after you've done that. Now, if you've already listened to part one, great job. Let's get back to the tick discussion. This episode of the Pet Purpose Podcast is brought to you by tailovation.com.au. Tailovation is the site for passionate pet parents looking for credible information and quality products for their pets. Visit tailovation.com.au. It's tails up to that. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let's jump straight in. What do you say about that, boy? So in part two of this episode, we'll cover off a little bit more on the paralysis tick. We will discuss how to protect your pet against ticks. And we'll also discuss what to do if you find a tick on your pet. So of the three Australian ticks most relevant to pets, what are their preferred hosts? Well, as the name applies, the brown dog tick prefers dogs and cats as its host. The bush tick has a preference for cattle as its host, but it will still feed on dogs and cats. Whilst the brown dog tick and the bush tick have the potential to transmit diseases to our pets, these vector-borne diseases, as mentioned, are fortunately not prevalent in Australia. So we'll focus our attention for the remainder of this discussion on the paralysis tick. The paralysis tick feeds on many different hosts, including dogs and cats, but it does seem to have bandicoots as its preferred host. Well, now, what is a bandicoot? A bandicoot is a little Australian marsupial with a pointed nose. It's got upright pricked ears and long back legs relative to its body. It lives in the bush, and since bandicoots are nocturnal, they are not often seen. I've been fortunate enough to have been able to see a little bandicoot in the wild. The adult paralysis ticks are most abundant from the months of October to December, and provided the microhabitat is suitable, the paralysis tick is primarily found across the eastern seaboard of Australia. It's not found in Western Australia, Northern Territory or South Australia. So why is the paralysis tick of concern to us as pet parents? Well, we know that although the paralysis tick seems to prefer bandicoots as its host, it does feed on dogs and cats. And as the name implies, the paralysis tick can cause the paralysis and even death of dogs and cats. 
The paralysis tick is quite unique because while it is feeding, it begins to secrete a neurotoxin after around three to four days after attachment and the commencement of feeding. So in this instance, they can be regarded as a ticking time bomb. Although some of the immature stages of the tick may cause paralysis, it is the adult female tick that is of the greatest concern for causing paralysis in our pets. Now, what is a neurotoxin? Well, let's break down the word. Neuro refers to nerves and toxin refers to a poison. So a neurotoxin is a poison that has an impact on the nervous system. And if it's having a detrimental effect on the nerves, it can lead to paralysis. And that is where the tick gets its common name as the paralysis tick. So what does a pet affected by paralysis tick look like? Well, initially the paralysis typically begins as a weakness in the back legs of our pets. And it progresses to a weakness and inability to use the front legs as well. If the host is a dog, the owner may notice a change in the pet's bark, in its tonality. Sometimes the pet may lose its appetite, it may vomit, and there's debate as to whether this is actually vomiting or regurgitation due to paralysis of parts of the esophagus. And occasionally the pupils of the eyes may become different in size. Uh, Death results from a paralysis of the respiratory muscles, which means that the host or our pet in this instance, is not able to breathe effectively. This is definitely not a nice way to go at all. Interestingly, marsupials tend not to be as affected by paralysis ticks as are other animals. And it's also interesting to note that young children have been known to be affected by the toxin of paralysis ticks. So let's talk a little bit about the treatment of a paralyzed pet. So treatment of a paralyzed pet can involve a number of steps. One of the primary aims is to find the tick or ticks and remove them as quickly as possible as that's obviously the source of the toxin. And this can involve shaving the entire animal to help find the tick or ticks. In many cases, it's just one single tick that can cause all of the troubles. However, it is important to make sure that there is not more than one tick attached. The level of treatment will vary depending on the degree of paralysis. Hospitalization and close monitoring along with supportive care may be important. And the pet may require the administration of intravenous tick antiserum so as to help neutralize the tick toxin. In severe and life-threatening cases, ventilation on a ventilator along with other intensive care support may actually be required. Now, what can you do to help prevent your dog from becoming infected? Well, firstly, it's important to use some sort of tick preventative. Now, there are many products available, and it's not the purpose of this discussion to go into detail on these right now. However, I will say that, in my opinion, products that get into your pet's bloodstream are the best, as opposed to those that just remain topically on the surface of the skin. When the product gets into your pet's bloodstream, it's far more effective against the tick because the tick ingests the product while it it, it feeds and takes its blood meal. Products that do not get into the bloodstream and only remain on the surface of the skin may not actually be in high enough concentration over the pet's entire body. 
if, for example, the tick attaches between the toes or uh, on the ear tip or uh, some other remote area on the body, it may not be exposed to sufficient product to kill it before it does any harm to your pet. Do bear in mind, though, that there are some products that are applied topically, but they still get into the bloodstream and can carry out the effect via the bloodstream. In other words, there are products applied topically that do go systemically, and these products would be as effective as those products that are given orally. The key point is it's important to use some sort of tick preventative that is effective no matter where on the body a tick might attach. Now, whichever product you decide to use, make sure that you are using it at the right dose relative to the weight of your pet. Make sure that you are giving it on time at the correct frequency recommended. And make sure that you are following all the user instructions on the product label to ensure that you are using it correctly and safely. Because even the best products on the market cannot protect your pet or be used safely if administered at the incorrect dose or the incorrect frequency. Besides using an effective tick preventative, the other thing to do is to perform daily and thorough tick searches of your pets, particularly when you have been walking in and around vegetation. This daily routine is important, even if your pet is on a tick treatment, because given the life-threatening nature of paralysis ticks, it is best to rather err on the side of caution and check regularly. Bear in mind also that cats can wander around on their own, and we don't always know what they get up to and where they go, so this means that tick searches on cats are also important. So what is it that you should look for when doing a tick search? Well, the idea is to engage your senses, both sight and touch, when searching for ticks. You're aiming to see and feel for the ticks in the coat of your pet. Remember that you're searching for all sorts of ticks. They could be engorged ticks, unfed ticks, tiny ones or large ones. So run your hands through the coat of your pet, paying particular attention to anything that might feel like a slight protuberance from the skin. If you detect something, stop and investigate further and a lot closer. It's best to brush through the coat with your hands against the fall of the fur. The idea is to lift the fur up by brushing your fingers across the coat. And by doing this, you'll lift the fur and have a much better chance of seeing an attached tick. Remember also that ticks can hide in obscure places, such as in cracks and crevices in the body. So besides searching over the entire body, also spend search time around the head, including inside the ears. Also search around the perineal or genital area and around the feet, such as between the toes. Try to work systematically to ensure that you don't miss certain parts of the body. For example, start at one end of the body, such as the muzzle and work your way all over the body to the other end, such as the tail. Perhaps do each limb, starting at the tip of the toes, and working your way up the limb to where it joins the body. Perhaps do each of the front legs first, and then work your way and search both of the back legs. Either way, the important point is to work out some sort of system that works for you, so that your entire pet is being searched. Pay particular attention when your pet has a heavy coat of fur. And note that a tick can look and feel like a skin outgrowth, so they can easily be missed.
So how do I remove uh, an attached tick if I find one? <laughs> well, I'm glad you asked. The best is to avoid techniques such as burning them with a match or dousing them with some sort of oil or any anything else creative. One of the ways to safely remove a tick is to simply get a small pair of tweezers and grasp the tick on its mouth parts as close to its point of attachment on the skin as possible. Sometimes you may need to first push down on the skin a little with the tweezer tips to better expose the sunken head of the tick and mouth before grasping with the, the tweezers. The key is to grasp the tick on its head and mouth parts as close to its point of attachment to the skin as possible. Try to avoid grasping the body of the tick whenever possible, as this can mean that the head uh, could easily detach from the body of the tick and could be more easily left behind, and also to prevent the contents of the body from being squeezed back into your pet. So if you grab the, 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 the tick body, it's sort of like squeezing a toothpaste tube and you wouldn't want any more toxin or nasty such as bacteria or anything else injected back into your pet if you can avoid it at all. Then with the tweezers grasping the head and mouth, pull at 90 degrees away from the skin of your pet with gentle but firm and consistent tension. Remember that the mouth parts of the tick with their burrs are buried in the skin of your pet. Eventually the mouth parts will give way and they will pull away at the point of attachment. And sometimes they'll actually bring a tiny bit of skin tissue along with them. Be sure to destroy and dispose of the tick so it doesn't get back onto your pet or onto anyone else. Remember, if you're unsure, it's always best to seek advice from your veterinarian when dealing with ticks. Now let's loop back to the fictitious walk that you took with your pooch in part one of this episode and how you ended up in the vet hospital with your dog on a ventilator. Well, while you were out walking, your dog picked up a paralysis tick from the vegetation that it brushed up against. Remember how ticks quest on bits of vegetation waiting for a host to brush past? Well, because your dog was not protected with the tick preventative product and daily checking was not performed, the tick that it picked up when it brushed past the vegetation was able to attach and remain attached for days, long enough for it to begin injecting its toxin, which had a detrimental effect on your pet's nervous system. That is how your dog became paralyzed and ended up on a ventilator because its respiratory muscles could not function properly. Now, fortunately, all of the great care that your dog received at the vet hospital, all the fluids, the antitoxin, and all the support on a ventilator helped pull your dog through this life-threatening ordeal. Sadly, though, not all cases end up being fictional stories with happy endings. So let's sum up. Do get out and about and enjoy time outdoors with your pet, but also do make sure your pet is protected with a good tick preventative. Do use the product as instructed on the package insert. For example, make sure the product you are using is actually indicated for your pet. Remember, there may be products that cannot be used in certain types of pets. Make sure that you are using the product at the correct dose and at the correct frequency and that it's given via the correct route of administration. And remember to do regular daily tick checks. Now please share this episode with those pet parents that you think need to hear this because if we can prevent just one pet 
from the potential perils of ticks, we would all have done a great deed. This episode of the Pet Purpose Podcast was brought to you by tailovation.com.au. Tailovation is the site for passionate pet parents looking for credible information and quality products for their pets. Visit tailovation.com.au. Well, that's a wrap for this episode. Thanks for being such a great audience. Please go ahead and share this episode with other passionate pet parents. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review. Remember, you're awesome and your pet thinks so too. It's tails up to that. Wouldn't you agree, boy? <laughs>